0: But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires.
1: Amen. Thank you, brother. If you want to follow along, let me invite you to open up to Galatians chapter 5. If you also have a child ages 5 to 8 and they have not already exited to Children's uh, Praise Factory and they would like to do so, feel free to exit stage left right now, unless they're already all gone. They're already gone. Okay, excellent. For those just joining us, we are just a week away from wrapping up our short series on the topic of holiness. Holiness. Last week we talked that uh, we saw that as God's holy people, we have received the high calling of a pursuing holiness with all of our lives. And so this morning, as we turn our attention to Galatians 5, and if you've got a Bible, you're going to want to keep it handy because we're going to start in Galatians 5, but we're going to kind of be bouncing over a few other sections of Scripture as well. But as we focus in on Galatians chapter 5, we're going to set to work answering the critical question of how. How are God's people who have have received this holy calling, how are they to grow in holiness? So that question said, let's go ahead and pray and then dive in and look to God's word for the answer. Father, we come before you this morning, and I just, I recognize, Father, so clearly this morning my own weakness. Father, I feel my weakness this morning. I feel our need of you. Lord, we just come before you and we ask. Lord, would you allow us to see the truth of your word? Lord, we need your word to feed us. Lord, we need to believe your word and to see Christ in your word so that we may be sustained by your word. And so, Lord, we ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit this morning that you would open our eyes to the truth of your word, that we may see the glory of Christ and may reflect his glory in holiness to the world for his glory and our good. And we ask that you would do that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Some of you may know that I actually started a garden this year. And I need to probably be more accurate. It's more like a gardenette, okay? I can, I can reach one end to the other <laughs> with my arms like this. So I wanted to start small. But in this small garden, one of the things I planted were a couple of tomato uh, plants, now, when I got these tomato plants, they were about two to three inches high, and I took them, and I, I cultivated the ground, and I, I planted them, and I watered them. I followed the directions. You know, there's that little thing that sticks in the plant that tells you exactly what to do. Followed that to a T, so they had plenty of sun. They had, they had plenty of water. They were in well-fertilized uh, uh, ground, and I was weeding them consistently, and you know what happened? No, they grew. <laughs> Which. It was just a shock to me, and I was so excited about. (laughs) They grew, and they grew, and they grew. And you know what happened eventually is those little blossoms on there, they fell off, and these big, fat, ripe tomatoes began to grow. I was very excited because I love, in the summertime, a BLT with fresh tomatoes, right? That's like one of the best things about living in the South. So I just, I, I watched them grow, and I watched them just produce this fruit, and I'm really telling you this story, not because you should be shocked or surprised by anything I'm telling you, right? Because the reality is, if you plant a healthy plant, in good soil, and you water it, and you take care of it, guess what you can expect? Growth. Man, I mentioned that to you this morning for this reason, because whether you know it or not, the Bible has a very similar expectation for all healthy Christians, that they would be growing Christians. That it is not an anomaly or not something weird or not something strange that a Christian would be growing. And by when I use that word growing, I don't just mean growing physically or growing in width. I mean growing spiritually. I mean, there's this expectation in Scripture that we would be every healthy Christian would be continually maturing, progressively becoming more and more holy in all of their lives. Did you know that? That is an expectation of the Bible. But I also want to say something else, that even though that, that is expected and that is to be normal, it is by no means automatic, is it? It is not as if growth happens passively, automatically, without anything that we have to do. And the truth is, some Christians grow much further and faster and produce much more fruit than others. Isn't it? Which leads us to ask the very important question this morning How do we grow? How do you and I grow? in holiness. And the answer that Paul gives in Galatians 5 is this: that growth in holiness comes as we learn to live in dependence on the Holy Spirit. That growth in holiness comes as we learn to live in dependence on the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we do that? Well, I think Galatians 5 is gonna give us three instructions for how we are to grow in our dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to pay attention because, again, as I mentioned, we're going to start in Galatians 5, but one thing I want you to see is that I'm not going to be just focusing on Galatians 5 because this is like the only place where it says this, but I'm going to be trying to condense the teaching of the New Testament and what it says about how we grow as Christians down into these three points, okay? So if you want to follow along with me, the first way that we grow is that we must be ready to fight by the Spirit. We must be ready to fight by the Spirit. <clears throat> Everybody with me? Okay, one of the things that I learned as I've been reading George Washington's biography, and we're now at the point where the Revolutionary War is, is underway, and one of the things that struck me is that even though there was all this, this revolutionary fervor in the colonies, that the, the, the Redcoats, the British, were very, very, very slow to do anything, And what becomes clear later is that the reason they didn't react quickly to what was happening in the colonists is because they did not take this threat seriously, right? They did not expect that they were going to be able to put up much of a fight. They expected that they would show up with their mighty army, really the mightiest army in the world, and that as moment they kind of came onto the stage that that the Americans would just throw their arms down and that they would say, you know what, we are no match for you. And so really, the first mistake that they made that ended up leading to their defeat was that they weren't ready for the fight that they were about to step into. And I mention that because I think many Christians make a similar mistake in their spiritual walk, which is why right at the outset of this section of Scripture, Paul begins by reminding them that the Christian life is a fight. So, verse 16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So here's what's happening in these few short verses. They are giving us a spiritual insight, a look into the soul of a healthy, growing Christian. And what we see is that in the soul of a healthy, growing Christian, there is a battle raging. On one side, we have the flesh that is sometimes called the old man or our earthly selves or indwelling sin that is completely and totally corrupt to its core. This old sinful nature is deceitful, it's wicked, it's selfish, it's depraved, as are all the desires that flow from it. This is the bad guy essence in every Disney movie that is living within us. It cannot be tamed, it cannot be turned, it cannot be redeemed, and it is constantly working to seduce, deceive, and control us. And ultimately what it intends to do is to destroy us and destroy everyone around us. Did you know that that lives in you? Now in the other corner, though, is what he calls the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit who gives new spiritual life to our souls. So if you are in the room and you are born again, or if you've heard that language before, sometimes we hear born of the Spirit. And it's why Paul will say later of these people, these Christians, that they live by the Spirit because the Spirit lives in them, meaning that the source and the power for our new spiritual life and our new holy desires and actions is the Spirit who dwells in us. This is, again, let's be clear, the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit, God the third person living within us, and because He is God, He is the Holy Spirit, there is something that is residing within us that desires nothing but that what God desires, and that is good and right and true and pure and so the desires of the spirit then are completely opposite to the desires of the flesh and by virtue of him dwelling within us they are now our deepest desires did you know that so here we have the battlefield or if you're a boxing you've got you've got corner one and you've got corner two all right, and these two forces are living within each one of us, which means that these two completely contradictory forces exist, never mixing, never mingling with each other. And every believer's souls, they're like oil and water, and they are constantly at war with one another for poor supremacy in each human soul. J.C. Ryle, in his book Holiness, says where there is grace, there will be conflict. Saved souls will always be found will always be found to have a fight in their soul. Saved souls always have a fight in their soul. So then the question I want to ask you this morning, and hopefully you've been paying attention, is then are we then as Christians condemned to be in this force, this this fight where we're going to be raging back and forth. Maybe sometimes they're going to be stronger. Maybe sometimes we're stronger for the rest of our lives. Well, hopefully you know that based on the passage we just read, that the answer to this is in a diametrically and possibly powerful no. Because here's here's what Paul says in verse 16. He says this, But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let me just say that again. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, that though the flesh feels really strong, and though for some of us the flesh is acting like it's in control, The flesh is no match for the power of the Holy Spirit residing in the people of God. It is no match for the power of the Holy Spirit residing in you. And so the means of victory over these desires of the flesh, these old patterns of thinking and acting, these habits, these feelings that we are so prone to is to live by the strength of the Holy Spirit. In other words, victory in this battle does not come from you. Let me say this again. Victory in the Holy Spirit, victory in the Christian life, growth in the Christian life, does not come from your merely human effort. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. And conversely, that if you do not lean on the, and seek the Spirit's help, then your flesh will win. Or as Paul says here, your flesh will keep you from doing the things you want to do. And by things you want to do, and this should hopefully be encouraging, he doesn't mean just the things that you might want to do, meaning just like whatever I want to do. I want to make a pizza right now. I want to do this. He's talking about the things that the new you, the true you, the real you, the you that is united to Christ by faith and is now living in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit you want to do. He says, if you walk in the power of your flesh you're not going to be able to do the things that you truly want to do by virtue of the fact that the Spirit now dwells in you. In other words, growing holiness demands a courageous confidence in the power of God's Spirit at work in us and a holy desire to see the battlefield of our lives claimed entirely for Jesus. I love the words of J.C. Ryle again, if you would be holy, oh, we must fight. If you would be holy, we must fight. Now, hopefully all that said, you are spoiling for a fight, if I could use that language. And I'm not talking about fight by like some way some people talk about fight. And they're like, I just want to fight everybody else. I want to fight my political opponents. I want to fight this person over there. I want to fight the world. What he's talking about here is he's talking about within you the flesh and the sin that dwells. He wants you to to take aim first at that. But there are two dangers if you're going to be looking for a fight that I want to make you aware of. The first is that there is no fight in you. Again, quoting J.C. Ryle, and if it hasn't become already, one of the things I read over the sabbatical was J.C. Ryle's holiness, which I would highly commend to you. Um, but he's just got so many wonderful insights and quotes, and he says this, he says, the saddest symptom about many so-called Christians is, that, is the utter absence of anything like conflict and fight in their Christianity. The saddest symptom about so many so-called Christians is the utter absence of anything like conflict and fight in their Christianity. Their Christianity has no fights. Their Christianity Is passive. They are caught off guard and I think there are three reasons for this. One, you may have made peace with your sin. You see in your particular situation your sin has lied to you and said, listen I'm just gonna hear, I'm not gonna do any harm, I'm not all that bad, just let me exist and I'm good. And you've listened to that deceptive lie of the enemy knowing that sin is like cancer and its soul, its goal is to destroy your soul. Or two, you think victory is impossible You see, you don't understand who you are in Christ yet. You don't understand that the Spirit in you is mightier than the flesh that is in you, and that if you are to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, victory is possible. And so you have simply made peace with this sin, thinking that you're just human and that's all people could expect of you. Or thirdly, and this is probably the most frightening, you don't have the Spirit of God at all in you. And so there is no conflict because the flesh reigns supreme. And if that's where you are, you don't need to know how to walk in the power of the Spirit, you need to look to Christ. And believe and rest in Him. You need to come by virtue of His saving death and resurrection. Look to Him for help and strength that He would save you. And that when you put your faith in Him, He will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit by which you will fight this battle. But you do not need to know how to fight a battle. You need first to come to Christ so that He will save you. But the second danger, and this may even be greater than that, and I think this is one many Christians are walking in, is that you are fighting in your own strength. This is fighting the flesh by the flesh. It's striving for obedience and holiness only in your own efforts. Because I'm not saying, by all that I've said this far, that you can't have some measure of outward conformity to the Word of God through your own efforts. What I am saying is that genuine holiness isn't produced that way. So you can conquer lust in your strength, some of you, and all it will do will make you self-righteous. And the enemy is very contempt for you to trade one sin for another. In fact, if he can have you in self-righteousness, he'd rather have you there than struggling with lust. Because at least in lust, you feel weak. When you are walking in self-righteousness, you feel strong. And so John Owen says trying to behave morally through personal strength and effort using personal tools and techniques is the foundation of all the false religion in the world. Let's say that again. Because everybody thinks this is what Christianity is. Trying to behave morally... Through personal strength and efforts, using personal tools and texni- techniques, is the foundation of all the false religion in the world. And this is why Paul wrote the Epistle to the Galatians, because he wanted to end their legalistic pursuit of righteousness and replace it with spirit empowered growth and holiness. Amen? So, hopefully, by now you're asking, all right. How do we do it? Right? (laughs) This is like a long intro. i got to get you set. We're in a fight. Walk in the power of the Spirit. Now, how do we do it? Step one, what does it look like is that we must crucify the flesh by the Spirit. We must crucify the flesh by the Spirit. Now, I've already mentioned my limited gardening experience, and I have impressed everyone with my knowledge. I know that. Now I want to show you just something else I learned from my limited gardening experience. It's that when I plant tomato plants in good soil under the right conditions and I water it, what else happens? Alongside my tomatoes grows up very quickly weeds, right? I mean, let's just be honest, the weeds grow quicker than the plant that you want to grow there, correct? Anybody else feel that? So it's like, I'm planting this, I'm wanting this to grow, and all of a sudden there's all this other stuff growing up, and at the same time, all these other plants that are growing up alongside my tomatoes are competing with my tomatoes for nutrients, for sunlight. They're essentially choking the life out of that tomato plant, and so if my tomato is to grow and thrive, what must happen? The weeds weeds must die that if the plant is to thrive, the weeds must die. And similarly, if we are to grow in holiness, the weeds of the flesh must be pulled. So Paul turns his attention to the nature of these weeds of the flesh, beginning in verse 19 where he says this. I'm just going to hit the first few words. Now the works of the flesh are So We're just going to stop there. I'm going to get to the rest of that verse in just a moment. Now the works of the flesh are evident. So having explained, again, that every person who is a healthy believer has these desires of the flesh within them, Paul now wants to make clear what these desires of the flesh look like when they're full grown. Why do you think he does that? Why does he go through this long list of licentiousness and dissensions and use a lot of words we don't typically use on a regular basis? Why does he do that? Because I think he wants you to help you see the reality and the ugliness and how destructive the works of the flesh are when they grow to full maturity. Because in the moment, the desires of the flesh rarely seem that bad. Let me give you an example. They're a lot like a baby tiger cub. Anybody ever seen a video of a baby tiger cub? It's like you want to have one in your house. It's like these are the cutest little things. Like, I want a baby tiger cub, right? Like, they're just so cute. And when they're babies, they look cute. But when they get to be full grown, they're a very different story right? When they get to be full grown, they kill people. And I think what Paul is trying to do here, not what Paul is trying to do, what Paul is doing is he is making clear to you that though the desires of the flesh may seem innocent, they may seem easy to justify, they may seem no big deal, that if you let them go, this is the destructive influence they will have on your life. This is what they look like. They look like sexual immorality, Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, I think we're to see this list and go, ugh, that looks terrible. This is what the flesh produces. Let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of these desires now because I don't want it to get to that point. Let's get rid of the cub because I don't want the lion. The flesh is dangerous, slippery, destructive. What can we do? And Paul makes clear that we must go to work killing the root. That if we are to avoid the works of the flesh, we must go to work killing the root. As he says in verse 24, And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now I want to make something clear here. Most of the times when you read in the New Testament where it talks about crucifying the flesh, the active agent is not you, it is Jesus. For example, in Romans 6, 6, we read, We know that our old self was crucified with him. Who crucified? Christ by his death and resurrection and our faith and trust in him through union with him. Or Galatians 2, 2, I have been crucified with Christ. And this reality is really the foundation for what Paul is saying here, because we can't kill sin in our flesh if it's still ruling. It was Christ's death that decisively crucified our flesh in us. But through his work, but though his work was decisive, we still have a part to play, because here he says that we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And I want to just pause and sit here for a moment. Because, and this is actually not in my notes, but just an aside. Everything the world says is that the answer to life is being who you are. And what they mean by that is giving in to your heart's desires. Seek your heart. Do what your heart wants. This is the lie of the world. And what the Bible says is that your actual flesh, the flesh in you, if you give in to it, is actually set to destroy you. And the only thing that will stop it is if you understand it's evil and you actually begin to crucify it. And this is not, again, just a Galatians 5 thing where Paul's like, here's like a little secret unknown fact about the Christian life. You actually see this if you start looking in Paul and is talking about sanctification or our progressive growth in holiness everywhere. Let me give you a few examples. Colossians 3.5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Ephesians 4.22, put off your old self in your former manner of life. Matthew 16.24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let me just say that all of these, though they're coming at it from a different angle, are saying the same thing. You have something in you that's going to kill you, and if you aren't going to try to kill it, it's going to kill you. It's going to ruin your soul. Romans eight thirteen, Paul says it this way, and I think this is super helpful. He says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I mentioned the name John Owen on several accounts this morning because part of the reason for that is he actually wrote a book called On the Mortification of Sin. Okay? This is like pure puritanism. And I mean that in a good way. He took one verse and wrote a whole book on it about how you do that. And it's a gloriously powerful book. But his key summary of the book, if you wanted a a one-sentence summary, is this. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. And the only way to do this, he makes clear throughout the book, is by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. The only way. Okay, so let's get practical for a moment. How do you and I crucify the flesh by the Spirit then? If that's what we have to do, we have to crucify the flesh by the Spirit. And can we go ahead and say that word crucify is not a kill, destroy, annihilate, whatever language you want. We must end it, okay? Like he's saying crucify the flesh by the Spirit. How do we do that? First, We must believe in the present power of the gospel at work in us. We must believe more deeply in the present power of the gospel at work in us. What do I mean by that? In the book, uh, How People Change, there's this analogy that we oftentimes as Christians live in the gospel gap. We believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins in the past. We believe that when we trust in Jesus... He cleanses our sins from the past and he promises us a future inheritance. But then we live most of this life with this gap in our knowledge about the present reality of the power of the gospel because when Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins, he did not merely take the penalty of sin from you. He broke the back of the power of sin in you. That's an important reality. You are not enslaved to sin any longer in Romans 6 Jesus says or in Romans 6 Paul says we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin so he's telling him about the spiritual reality of what is true of them by virtue of the life-saving beautiful gospel of grace that we believe A gospel that does not merely say, I have been delivered from the penalty of sin. A gospel that says, I have been delivered from the power of sin. Okay? But then notice where he goes in verse 11, because then Paul says this. He says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, this is a reality for every believer in Jesus, but you cannot walk in it. You can walk as if the power of sin in you is still stronger than the spirit that is in you. You can walk as if the power of sin is still enslaving you even though it has no longer any power in you. So the first step in order to crucify the flesh is to recognize that you are dead to sin and sin is dead to you. And the way we do this... My wife likes to use this phrase we heard at the church from we used to go to is that you you need to preach the gospel to yourself. You need to learn to preach the gospel to yourself. Christ died to free you from sin's power, not merely its penalty. And so when you feel as if the sin is stronger than you, when you feel that that sin is better than the thing that God wants you to do, when you feel all of these things and these thoughts are coming into your mind, you need to return to the reality that Christ's death for you has united you to him and therefore the power of the Holy Spirit dwells in you and that sin that feels so powerful is merely posturing because the Spirit's at work in you. And then you have that spirit as a gift through the power, through, through the saving death and resurrection of Jesus. So you need to begin by believing the present power of the gospel, by preaching the gospel to yourself in and out of every single day. Because there are always going to be situations you're going to find yourselves in where you're not going to feel powerful, where you're not going to remember who you are. And so you need to learn to preach the gospel to yourself in every situation throughout the day. How many times do you need to preach the gospel to yourself? Not on Sundays, not just on Mondays, every day. And secondly, you need to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. You see, we sometimes like to talk about the Word being the sword of the Spirit, but how does the sword of the Spirit do what what he's supposed to do? Remember, he pierces to the division of soul and spirit of joints into marrow and discerns the, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If you want your thoughts and intentions discerned and you want to wield that sword well, you're going to have to start filling your mind with the Word of God. Let me give you a few again, this is not just Galatians, we hear this, it's everywhere. Another few examples. Romans eight, five, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. Ephesians four twenty three, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above. Romans 12.1, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What I'm telling you, Christians, is this. Your mind is critical to your battle. Your mind is critical to crucifying the flesh and if you are allowing your mind to go anywhere it wants to attach itself to anything that it attaches to and not filling it with the Word of God, not meditating on the Word of God, you will not crucify the flesh. This is a call to recognize the necessity of filling your mind with the Word. You see what occupies your mind, feeds your heart, directs your steps, if you would crucify the flesh you must learn to meditate on scripture. Man, is this pastor being legalistic? Is he just telling me to have his quiet times? No, what I'm telling you is this. If you expect to live in holiness and give no attention to the word that God has given you, make no attention to what you're filling your mind with, you're never gonna progress in holiness. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on what the spirit wants. What does the spirit wants? Where he's inspired an entire book for you. He's not talking about subjective reality, he's talking about the objective truth of his word. What is meditation? The best example, the best definition I can get is from knowing God, which our ladies in discipleship class know, right? Meditation is the act of calling to mind and thinking over and applying to oneself all of scripture. It is an activity of holy thought, consciously performed in the presence of God, Under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communion with God. That's meditation. That's how you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you crucify flesh. But I've got more good news for you. Because genuine holiness is not just about the sin you're killing. All right? The third step for how we are to walk in holiness, grow in holiness, is that we must be rooted in Christ. We must be rooted in Christ. See, I'm just going to go ahead and be honest with you. When I was growing up, when I heard the word holiness, I basically thought of somebody who didn't do bad things, they avoided the bad things. You see, the essence of holiness in my mind when I was growing up was what we didn't do as Christians. It was that I mean we didn't lie. It was that we didn't lust. It's that we weren't selfish. And in that case, holiness is defined more by what you aren't than by what you are, or more by what you are empty of than what you are full of. But in the next few verses, Paul makes clear through these famous verses what the essence of, that the essence of holiness is is bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. The essence of holiness is not simply what you don't do. It's what you are full of. And so the best description I can think of somebody who's walking in perfect holiness is this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. That's a beautiful picture of holiness, isn't it? This isn't just like multiple choice for Christians. Pick one of these you're good at. If you've got the Spirit in you, this is what He's empowering. This is what He's producing. And I'd love to take a moment this morning and dive into the beauty of what each of these means, what it looks like to be full of love or joy or peace. But that's not our task this morning. Our goal is to understand how we are to bear this fruit. And to that end, all I want to do is I just want to make a few comments about that phrase, fruit of the Spirit. Because first, by saying fruit of the Spirit we need to see that Paul means that this is not a product of your effort. It is produced by the Holy Spirit within you. This is not a product. That doesn't mean you don't have anything to do. We'll get to that in a minute. But this is not a product of your efforts. Meaning just as Jesus saved you by his powerful work, the Spirit must produce this in you by his powerful work. The Holy Spirit in us is the source that is lo- the source of this love, joy, peace, patience, which is meant to characterize us. And so the engine or fount of our personal holiness is the Holy Spirit that indwells us. It also means that anyone who has the Holy Spirit, by which we receive by faith at conversion, has all that is needed to be full of love, joy, peace, though it may not be fully developed. So let me kind of unpack this for just a moment. When you come to Christ and you profess faith in him, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is the consistent testimony of scriptures throughout. But you may, though you may have the power of the Holy Spirit, there is this long-term process called progressive sanctification where the Spirit becomes more and more and more and more mighty in you by faith. At the start of the Christian life, you have received all the Holy Spirit you need in order to be able to make this journey, in order to be able to produce this fruit. It's not a matter of the power at work in you. It's a matter of your walking in it by faith. Secondly, we need to notice in that phrase, fruit of the Spirit, that he uses this word, fruit. And it's interesting if you contrast it with the way he said it before, not works of the flesh, he says, fruit of the Spirit. Like love, joy, peace, and patience are not just actions, are they? They're qualities. They're characteristics of us. They are something we are before they are something we do. So someone can do nice things and not be a loving person. Someone can act very moral and not be Holy. Someone can be very calm on the outside and acting like I've got it all together and not be at peace. In other words, true holiness is deeper than mere actions. Certainly it will reflect itself in actions that bless others. Even that language of fruit gives this sense of the blessing that it is to others. But let us not confuse the reality of what it produces with what's, where it's coming from, and that it genuinely, holiness at its core, is actually making you more loving, more joyful, more peace, peace, peaceful, more patient, more kind. It's not just simply someone with a few more kind acts. It's a transformation of the inner person so that they love more, more peace, more joy, and so on and so forth. And if that's true, that this fruit of the Holy Spirit, a genuine holiness, is not mere just acts, yes, it's acts, but not just that. It's more than that. Then the question is, what are we to do? If it's the Spirit that produces it, how do we produce the spiritual fruit? And it's, it's obvious that there's something that we have called to do, because Paul says in verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And what does this mean? Paul has used a series of phrases to describe how we are to depend on the Holy Spirit. We're to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. Now he's just said keep in step with the Spirit. My, what I want to finish with is just this asking this question. What does that look like? Now, I can do a couple of things here. I can kind of double down on the Spirit. But after studying Scripture... I want to bring some ideas together because I think they're rooted here. And this is going to be the last point, and then we're done and moving on. I know the babies are getting restless. That's always my guide of like how I'm doing time-wise. And if your baby is in here, it's restless. Praise God you're in here. Praise God for the baby. I don't care. I'm just making sure I know I'm not putting too much on you guys. In Galatians 3:14, Paul reminds his readers that we receive the Spirit by faith in Christ. Oh, I missed the point. How do we do that? The answer is by rooting ourselves in Christ. How do we walk by the Spirit? I'm going to make the case that it's by rooting ourselves in Christ. In Galatians 3:14, Paul reminds his readers that we receive the Spirit by faith in Christ. We don't receive the Spirit by faith in the Spirit. I'm going to say that again. We don't receive the Spirit by faith in the Spirit. We receive it by faith in Jesus. And Jesus tells us in John 14 that he is going to send the Spirit to help his people know, love, and glorify him. He says, I'm leaving. I'm going to send you the Spirit, and the ministry of the Spirit is going to take my people. He's going to make it clear to them. He's going to make them see it, and then he's going to make them glorify me because they're going to see how great I am, and, they're make, and I'm make, the Spirit's going to make my people glorify me. He's going to make them look more like me and be able to worship me. So if Paul's told us that we receive the Spirit by faith, and Jesus has told us that the ministry of the Spirit is to glorify Christ, then I think we're beginning to bring together some themes that we have to see, and I'm using that word rooted to be hopefully a more concrete element or a concrete word to describe what it means to live in daily faith in Jesus. Because I think that language of rooted is something that Scripture uses to help us understand our dependence upon Christ. Ephesians 3, Paul prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that you being rooted and grounded in Christ's love may have strength to get with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Colossians 2, 7, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. And though the word rooted is not used, it's the same idea in John fifteen four, where Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So what he's saying there in John fifteen four is this. If you want to produce fruit... If you want to grow, you must be connected to Christ by faith so integrally, the same way a branch, the moment you rip it away from the vine, begins to wither so that you would draw your strength and your grace and your life and your love from Jesus in the same way. Rooting yourself in Christ is looking to him to fill us. Are you lacking in love for people, for God? Not trying to well it up within yourself, but looking to Jesus and the depth of his love for you to be able to enable you to love others and love God. So you turn your eyes from yourself. You turn your eyes from everybody else and you look to Jesus for him to fill you. Are you lacking in peace? You stop looking at your circumstances to give you peace. You start lo- stop looking within and some mental, you know, Gymnastics to give you peace, and you look away to Jesus and what He has done for you, and you let that give you peace. Let that be your source of peace. Are you lacking joy? You don't look two things for joy you stop looking to yourself for joy and you start going to Jesus and saying you must fill me with joy or I will have none I look to you Jesus and I don't do this on Sundays I don't do this just sometimes I do this with all of my life I am so dependent on him that if you were to rip me from the true vine I'm gonna shrivel We are far more dependent upon the goodness of Jesus, and there is so much more goodness available to us that we may walk in it than you and I are even now coming close to experiencing. He is a vine that is abundant, His peace and joy and glory overflows. But we walk in so much self-satisfied, self-righteous religion that we do not drink deeply from that cup. See, we want to be a people who are so dependent that at the very thought of being ripped away from the true vine, we're like, man, I can't live without him. Not just Sunday to Sunday, from day to day, I need him. Saints of Christ, I want to say this to you this morning. God has given you everything you need to grow in Him. He has. He has cleansed you through Christ's atoning work. He has given you His Spirit to build you up and empower your growth in holiness. You lack nothing that you need. So now, go and grow in the holiness that Christ has purchased and desires for you through the Holy Spirit that he has implanted within you as you look to him to satisfy you. Let's pray. Father, we need you more than we could possibly know, and yet you are better than we can possibly imagine. We pray that you would help us to walk in the power of your Holy Spirit as we look to Christ and that we would understand what he has done for us and we would walk in the love and peace and joy and fullness of who Christ is. And Lord, that we would reflect to the world accurately, powerfully, the holiness of God. Lord, we confess before you and say we are so little. We have so much further to go and yet we know that your grace is sufficient. Lead us, guide us, and direct us. In your name we pray. Amen.